Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Union Jews. Things Unions podcast for union reps, members, and for anyone connected with or interested in the union movement. Each episode will be a digital downloadable delight of the best of the trade union movement at this point in time. Today, we chat with the TUC's digital guru, John Wood. What is the digital lab? What does digital transformation mean in practice? Is coronavirus the ultimate stress test of going digital? That's all coming up. We'll also have a section we call, What You're Eating? Yes, it's the Union Jews book review. But first, let's look around at what's happening union-wise. Now, each episode, we like to have a, a look around what's happening in the union movement, uh, bring to your attention some things that perhaps you missed. A couple of things that caught my eye uh, in the past few days. Um, Bolt. Not your same Bolt, but Bolt. The Bolt app is set to rival Uber. At least that's what the creators and owners of Bolt want to do. Unfortunately... Like Uber before them, they're treating their workers rather shabbily. And the Independent Workers Union of Great Britain has launched a test case to try and rectify what they say is underpayment of the national minimum wage and generally unfair working practices. So good luck with that one, and we'll keep you posted on how that goes. Sad, sad news breaking uh, just now about uh, Unite members, five Unite members who are bus drivers, uh, have uh, died as a result of uh, (laughs) COVID-19. You know, these are key workers. They've, of course, everyone relies, you know, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people normally rely on, on buses to, to get to work and get around the, the cities in which they, they live. Interesting that in on continental Europe, they've got a system whereby you can't, you, you can't use the front doors of buses, where obviously the drivers are. You can only use the back doors and you use contactless forms of payments. It seems that that way of working needs urgently to be introduced here, if at all possible. Unite have been uh, very quick and, and rightly quick to point out that the 167 million quid bailout for buses uh, that was announced uh, by uh, by the government over the past week or so is kind of a drop in the ocean when you think about the importance of the bus network and the systemic underfunding that has occurred in the bus network since well, since mass privatisation basically. So quite right for Unite to push that uh, push, push that particular issue. A GMB reported a couple of, of welcome successes, although you kind of think it shouldn't have been things that needed to be campaigned on to start with. At Ferndale Hotels, 200 people who were about to be made redundant, mostly in GMB grades. Because of COVID, the, the, the unions persuaded the company to, to do a U-turn, rehire them and use the, the COVID uh, job retention scheme, 80% payment scheme to, to save the jobs. Same at Matalan. Uh, Matalan warehouse grades are all going to be furloughed under the government scheme rather than lose their jobs. That's good news indeed. One article that caught my caught my eye, uh, made me smile a, a little bit, was uh, in the Unions 21 website, uh, entitled "Why Should Unions Do Foresight?" Well, <laughs> it's easy with hindsight why we should do foresight, but I, I'd recommend that one to you. Now to our special guest. I was I was really chuffed, really pleased to be able to entice John onto the show. There's not much he doesn't know about what unions are doing and could be doing digitally. But just what do we mean by that, this digital transformation stuff? And what is the TUC's digital laboratory? I started off by asking John exactly that. Even though, even though the digital lab is, is well established, um, it might be helpful just to briefly outline what it is and why it is uh, for those who, who haven't heard of it before. 
Sure. <clears throat> well established in terms that it's, it, we've, we've been doing this for a year now, so we're kind of going into a more a phase of trying to make stuff more stable. It's an attempt to foster a kind of shared journey into digital transformation for TUC and our affiliates. How we can come together as a, as a movement to surface and, and share good practice in digital transformation, because there is good practice going on out there. And the idea is how we make that common practice. So in terms of digital transformation, I mean, I think people could be forgiven for still thinking that, you know, they do, they do Twitter, they do Instagram, they use email, they've got a CRM system even, uh, and therefore they're digitally transformed. But I imagine it, it, it's, it's a much broader thing than that. Completely. I mean, a really speedy way to illustrate it is in the last days of the video rental company Blockbuster. I remember um, that, yeah. They, they were doing a, a, a pretty good job on social. They'd, uh, they had some kind of compelling content going out on Twitter. They had a big following. Their little rival Netflix wasn't doing as well on social. They kind of presumed they'd crack digital. What they'd done was put this digital marketing veneer over a business model that wasn't really where their industry was going. And what Netflix were doing was actually making their business model digital. Right, right. So we know what, which one now makes Oscar winning movies. And which one doesn't exist. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's really, it's, I suppose it is, it is integrating digital best practice into every area of your operations. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> one way of thinking about digital is kind of the air we we breathe these days. So it kind of means looking at how the world's changed and how our members' expectations have raised for the ways that they would want to interact with every organization they deal with. So because the technology enables this stuff, it enables changes in society and culture, it enables expectations from people that they're going to get a certain interaction. Now, Netflix unfairly raised people's expectations from Blockbuster. Many years ago, I used to work for the development charity Oxfam, and we were building their first online store, um, selling kind of fair trade goods. And they'd been in the catalog business for ages. And so I was kind of putting together the, the shop and looking at, you know, 28 days delivery, that's not really going to kind of wash. <laughs> Possibly, and they were like, well, that's always worked in the catalog business. And <clears throat> when people were buying stuff online, they were having an experience with Amazon, say, who were at that time offering way faster delivery. And people were assuming that that's what, that's how you bought things online these days. Rather than thinking, yes, a company that has billions of dollars in uh, investor money to burn um, can make that experience that good. It raises the bar for everybody. So the you know, we, we thought about offering a seven-day delivery for an extra fiver, and that was kind of uh, adding insult to injury. Really, <laughs> people would say, "What is that express seven days?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, because, I mean, to continue the Amazon, it's you know, you have Amazon Prime where you pay, I don't know whatever it is, seventy or eighty quid a year, and you, you get like lightning fast service. Yeah, and that stuff isn't it, it's unfair. So <clears throat> Uber atrocious corporate citizens run a service which i'm assured is 
seamless and um, works really well for users. And as a result, they've grown to three and a half million users in London in, in, in no time. Now they're doing that with uh, investor money and really focusing on what makes the best experience for the user. They're not thinking much about what makes the best experience for the drivers. They've raised the expectations unfairly on small minicab companies, on black, black cabs, who are sometimes doing better by their workers than, than Uber are. But that's now people's kind of expectation around how they would deal with these kind of organisations. And what it means for kind of organisations like unions, it's, <clears throat> I mean, it's this stuff that should all be possible and, and, and second nature to us. People want uh, immediacy. Um, they want to be able to find out what's going on as quickly as they can. Uh, at any time that suits them from wherever they are. They want to build transparency. They want to see the kind of stage that something's happening in the process. They're used to being able to flex their Netflix, their utility provider, their phone bill, anything up and down to see all the details that they want to transparently of kind of what their membership is, when it expires, what the, that they can cancel at any time they want. All these kind of things are expectations uh, now. And union membership for some unions is is kind of, is jarring a bit with the expectations of people who haven't already been in unions for some time. In, in, uh, in, indeed, and I'm thinking particularly that when we, we deal with this ongoing challenge of young workers being, being in unions and the, the, the terribly, terribly low rate of union density amongst young workers, of course, people who have grown up in the smartphone generation, millennials you might call them, Gen Zers, whatever, you know, they're going, that's, the, that's what they're going to expect. It doesn't matter what we're offering, and we might think it's the best thing, and it might have lasted for, forever. What they expect is, is an app that will deliver for them what, what they want pretty damn quick. Very, very true. I mean, this year, uh, 2020, is apparently the year in which the majority of the workforce are millennials. That's scary! <laughs> yeah, for us, scary. Us, us, us Gen Xers, it's, uh, uh, it's the beginning of the end. This, this means that now more than half the workforce entered the workforce during the internet age. They weren't people who had to learn it like us. Yeah. They came to work and it was working that way. And yes, that, that means they have different expectations. And where they, where they have never come across a trade union, which with the research that we did amongst low to medium income workers in their 20s in, in um, private sector was... That's six percent membership, so we're huge numbers of people who've never come into contact with the union. Where they're thinking, kind of, what's my options when I've got a problem at work? If they're thinking about their normal expectations for what they they would do in other areas of uh, of facing problems, a union isn't isn't necessarily in the mix there at the moment. If they've got no experience of them, it might be either thinking about it through a kind of help desk type scenario of like, well, I'm used to advice being transparent and, and staged and I see the whole process and I'll go to CAB and they'll be very well ticketed and follow the, the case through. And that meets the way I would expect this advice to work, linking me on to, to useful content. Or they might think of if they want to think get about active about their problem rather than kind of finding advice about their problem. They might think, well, when I saw people challenging something with my local council, they went to change.org. So I'll, um, I'll go to change.org, I'll start a petition, it'll be live within minutes, I'll have full control over it, I can write whatever I want in it, take it down when I want to, it, I can share it through the channels I would normally talk about things, rather than branch meetings, and that is a kind of package that I can, I can understand. Um, yeah. and, and we, we look at that as being a package that works, 
that's a different matter because you put something up in this giant morass on change, nobody sees it, employers don't care, it doesn't go anywhere. If it does, it may get you in trouble at work um, in any case. And you're not building anything in terms of kind of capacity in terms of trying to get some sort of system change uh, there at work, which the kind of sustainable way of, of, of kind of building through organizing would give you. So in that situation, if the union isn't instinctively working in the way that these people might want to, uh, might instinctively expect to work, then everybody could lose out. Both the, the worker who ends up using something which isn't, seems right, but isn't going to solve their problem, and, uh, and the collective in terms of just weakening the, the strength of unions overall. But the, I mean, this is, this is a, a really fundamental problem, right? it, it seems to me, because it's not only that you know, most unions are not really working in the way that you just described to, to effectively engage with a majority millennial workforce. It's that when, if anyone in the, that, that part of the workforce wants to go looking for unions, then probably if, they, if they're not digitally transformed, then their SEO is not going to be very good. So they're not even going to come anywhere near the top. Of, of Google results when you key in a particular workplace problem. You'll probably get CAB or, or maybe turn to us if it's a financial problem or ACAS or, 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 who, or, or a legal journal. So there, there's a, this is a really kind of fundamental issue. And I wonder, unions are, are you know, got a reputation, probably you could say, for being rather conservative with a small resistance to change. Have you found that there is a willing and growing audience for the sort of work that's being done in the digital lab? Yeah, I, I the, the the small C conservative thing is true, but in many ways unfair. I think that we're, we're voluntarist organisations. Everybody in unions is there because they believe in getting something done for the members and they believe in our theory of change. And <clears throat> so there's no lack of commitment to wanting to do things in the best way. Sometimes though, I think the things that have made us so strong over so many decades uh, have given us such stability and now sometimes making us slow. Loads of our systems are designed for uh, an environment where collaboration at distance is impossible or uh, too expensive and too slow. The uh, much as I absolutely love going to UC Congress once a year and uh, deliberating motions that have taken a year to come up through branches to national conferences to Congress. The speed at which things happen these days and the speed at which societal change is happening means we've got to find ways to supplement and improve union democracy, union governance. <clears throat> we've got to find ways to get those systems, those processes working faster yeah, uh, speed and more effectively. And in a way that includes the, the, the wide range of people out there who aren't currently going to fitting into the structures that we've made that keep us stable in the workplace and, and that, that, that keep us going, but aren't connecting with a lot of other people. There's one um, nice uh, phrase um, used by very smart colleagues in the, the Walmart campaign in, in the States, the Organization United for Respect at Walmart. The director there, Dan Schladerman, often talks about multiple on-ramps to leadership. Multiple on-ramps to leadership. I like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I so like that. Everybody's Everybody's going on the highway in the same direction. They're focused on the theory of change. They, go, we, we, they, they know what we're going to be doing, but they all need different ways to get onto the freeway. And the way of, which has worked for us a long time in the past, of structures, branches, elected roles, all those, all those kind of uh, things, 
do we need to look at what members have to offer and what members could want, what the possibilities are to actually include people more directly these days. Now that collaboration isn't that hard. So now that we can't, now that we don't have a situation where we can only afford to get together a small representative group uh, at certain times of the year, yeah. um, how do we touch in better with our members, know what they want, be responsive to what they want, find ways for them to get involved in different ways? Uh, Dan looks at lots of ways that his people, who would never necessarily normally step up to a traditional union role, can take on other leadership roles in building a movement and a campaign out there, bringing what they've got that they feel confident in to help create a more diverse campaign and diverse organisation. So that's, that's quite interesting. What do the step-ups to leadership look like in a digital world? Where we more things and let more people in on more things. And, and, and what does the accountability look like as well? Uh, yeah, you know, because you know, one of our strengths, as you say, you know, we've got we do a lot of things very well, and we've been doing them for a long time. And one of our strengths and our characteristics is is democracy. We're ostensibly dem democratic, member-based organisations. And part of the problem about having about say using WhatsApp uh, groups for virtual branch or section meetings or Facebook for mass member consultations is sometimes the lines of accountability aren't, aren't clear. Completely. I mean, we can't we, we, we can't lose babies and bathwater and all that. I mean, yeah. the, we've got to keep what gives us our mandate, and <clears throat> we've got to be keep that member control. It's just there are ways theoretically to extend uh, and enhance that in different ways. Yes, uh, supplement it that we could be looking at more of, and that might make our organisations more faster, more responsive. Indeed, and, and then you get into a virtuous cycle, don't you, I suppose, because if, if union organisations are able to take what, you know, for some will be quite a, um, a big step to say, right, we're going to give this a go. We're going to innovate in, 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 in this way, recognising that we might fail. It might not, we might not get anything. But if they succeed, then that becomes an exemplar and the, the platform on which others may stand to try, and, to try and go further. Yeah, I mean, we've got an asset here, which is that... All, we're a movement and all unions are pulling in the same direction. We should be able to do some of this stuff faster and more effectively by being open to sharing. And, and there's some really great stuff come through from uh, the, uh, the digital lab of um, our growing network of people who are sharing where is the good practice and where are the transferable lessons being much more open on helping people along in their own projects by kind of starting to publish the design patterns of what we're doing we we've got a couple of unfortunately delayed by the, the current crisis small pilot product projects going out into field testing just to kind of advance our knowledge on things about how we uh, get more accurate member data or how we help members research and solve their problems uh, online and the learning from those kind of things we want to be able to they're transferable all unions are going to need to need to look at some of that stuff they can do it slightly different ways but if we can look at well here's the user needs we work to here's the kind of results we got here are some promising things that we could be investigate you could be investigating too then <clears throat> everybody's theoretically stands to gain yes and yeah indeed i mean are, are, are there any particularly to quick or effective fixes that, that could be easily picked up almost off the shelf uh, from people or, 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 or are we not quite at that stage of developing a suite of tools? No, uh, <clears throat> I think there's, all, the audience are at different stages and there's, there's totally quick fixes, but there, all, 
they're also kind of quick fixes in method as well as tools. Yeah. Um, and they're all going to differ from union to union, all set up in different ways. We've got a really diverse movement from very small thousand member staff associations um, up to the, the, the kind of giants of uh, United Unison. So we've got, we've got wide range of experience, wide range of, of, of functions that, that, that these that, that unions do. But it just all lends itself to, as a quick win, to doing small things and measuring the differences you've made. Right. Um, it's way easier to try something in digital than it is to try something offline and, and to try something on a much smaller scale and just see, does that work? Yeah, if so, we'll refine it, get feedback on it. So there's a lot of unions at the moment working on how they refocus the experience for their members. So they look at all the kind of interactions they have with members, working out what members' uh, needs are, what their own needs are, what all those different points, how members would find those interactions better, and then putting in changes, testing how people respond to them. Uh, I'm just pulling one name out, but I know prospects have done some really great work around mapping up user journeys, working on welcome journeys for uh, new members, helping get more people, say, into, uh, well, when they've joined, using that enthusiasm to get people either uh, into uh, activism, campaigning, finding out more about the union, what are the, the, the next steps that people can take, and <clears throat> what are the milestones in uh, people's membership that will kind of keep them in membership, keep them active. So that kind of thing, the optimization, the looking at what members get from the union at the moment when they, they, what they get what they get in their experience of working with the union at the moment talking to them about it and putting stuff in to, to try to work around in, improving that because it, this is a job that's never going to be finished is kind of a, i think a first quick win for me in terms of tools some unions are working on getting their kind of their, their, their systems more stable uh, some unions are working on particular applications of the technology they're all going to be quite they're going to there's going to be a lot of commonality of interest in lots of those yeah uh, <clears throat> so but for me part of the quick win is, is looking at the method right right okay so so i mean i suppose that the current the current situation current crisis is 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 one in which the digital capability or the digital appetite of the union movement including the, T, the tuc is absolutely you know this is this is the point of proof now isn't it in, t in terms of what we're doing because the the person-to-person -person stuff is virtually impossible uh, and and therefore what would you say um the digital habits or capabilities are, are going to be most helpful in this in this set of circumstances is it a mindset or is it resource-based or a bit of everything it's going to differ there are some organizations that are more ready for this than others at the TUC, we are in such a better place uh, than we would have been had this happened the year before, um, thanks to the, the kind of hard work of our own IT colleagues in moving us into the cloud, in getting us all able to access all our, our storage, our tools um, from anywhere, at a time that we, it wasn't critical that we did it. But it's actually, I mean, thinking now, if I, was where we were a year ago and didn't have access to all the files on the day after we kind of been told not to come in tomorrow and we didn't have the the, the scripts definitely to, to link us together for our uh, catch-up meetings every morning then it would be way harder and there will be many unions that are that are in that place where they've got these systems in place already there'll be many others who probably have some more problems in uh, in looking at some of these 
these aspects of, of, of being ready to, to switch everything back home. So, so not everybody's starting from the same playing field on this. I think rates that are going to help here are, there's a lot of the kind of just being an effective and good organisation, um, which is the same uh, everywhere, that it's much harder to keep things, all the plates spinning, when everybody's remotely uh, working, um, where you can't uh, touch in with members and reps in the same ways, um, and where you've got suddenly a load of problems going. So, I mean, good administrative staying on top of things, but at the same time also just openness and flexibility and, and, and listening to where members and activists are coming from and trying the things that they are wanting to to try and give them the, the, the space to do that kind of thing is, is going to be extremely useful. And I suppose, it, I mean, it's very, very helpful for the PUC to be able to demonstrate by what you and your colleagues are doing to employers who are perhaps not so sure that actually that this is, this is a perfectly possible way to configure your organisation, especially when there are there are real serious constraints on on you it is when you're a meta organization like us where obviously that that is not possible for many very 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 many workers and employ and from workplaces and there's a lot going on with unions working with their own employers in kind of looking at what how to keep workers safe and, and get work done and keep workers livelihood secure through this which is uh, a huge scary Thing that I know a lot of unions are rising to the to the challenge of, but yeah. Cool. So I mean, if there was if, if the current situation were to have a silver lining, as as it were, what what do you think it might be? I always think that that actually so many meetings that I would normally go to have just been either cancelled or replaced by virtual meetings. I, I'm I'm kind of thinking we'll surely never go back to the way it was. Do you, do you get that sort of feeling as well? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> Honestly, can't really see it as much more than a an immense crisis in a trying time for everybody at the moment. It's a very artificial situation. The unions aren't short of crises before this happened for our movement, That's um, and the way that we've just we now need to drop everything to to protect the members uh, and their livelihoods and their families. It's hard to see where the that this is is we have this work we have to do and <clears throat> it's total diverting us away from uh, everything else that we we can and should be doing and throwing people in at the deep end on this may be bringing some unions into getting more used to more flexible ways of communicating it's in such an artificial situation though where what we really need is to kind of blend space to be able to blend this stuff we need <clears throat> you need kind of space yeah. to, 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 to innovate sometimes and to be able to talk to the members to the leisure of, of kind of like finding out what it is that we need to do and planning it properly, seeing this stuff through. The I think there's lots of what we do traditionally is the union movement is really good, works phenomenally well. <clears throat> How do we find a way that blends the opportunities with that at the moment, we're finding out new ways of working very, very, very quickly. It's an artificial situation, though. I don't know how much, how much that leaves us in a, in a, in a. In a I, I obviously, everybody needs to look for silver linings in this horrible stuff. No, um, sure, but, but the, as, as you say, though, the situation is is unprecedented in our lifetimes, possibly, possibly unprecedented, full stop. So, it's an existential matter for our members and 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 our unions, I guess. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, listen, John, thanks so much for, uh, for spending time with us on the Union Dues podcast. Good luck surviving the storm. And, and if, if our listeners want to find out more about the digital lab and the sort of things that you and your colleagues are doing, where, where, where can they find out, find that information? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> yeah, so we've got a, uh, a small site that we're setting up to run, coordinate our network at digital.tuc.org.uk. And if anybody wants to subscribe to email alerts there to see write-ups of projects we've been working on, events we've been running, <clears throat> and a kind of reading list of uh, things that we've been through, then please, please do that. Um, there's a few tools uh, and things there that we've released, benchmarking tools to help people working out where they are in their own union's own digital journey and a set of kind of design principles for how unions can do digital transformation that we've been working on over the year to give people if not a map of where we're going then at least a compass so um yeah i encourage people to have a look at that get in touch and really keen to work with colleagues from across all the tcs unions and really good luck with the podcast and uh, we'll be, be listening to it, it's a, it's a, I think it could be a really useful forum. Thank you very much. But listen, I hope you and yours stay well, stay safe, and we'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, listen, I don't know about you, but for me, the monumental takeaway from the discussion with John was that stat that as of this year, there are more millennials in the workforce than any other age band, more people who have grown up. You know, with a smartphone in their hand or in their pocket, you know, right from popping out of the womb. Uh, when a clear majority of our potential members are native digital citizens, what possible reason can there be for being addicted to analogue? I mean, really, feel free to disagree. Email me at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. I think there's a, there's a, an important debate to be had here uh, still. I don't want to go on too much about COVID. We are truly blessed to have so many people going far further than just the extra mile it really is inescapable and it's appropriate to make sure that we're, we're all up to speed about what we can do to keep ourselves our families and others safe and well there's a great section of the TUC website which details what every affiliate is doing what they've advised their members in regards to the COVID crisis I wrote last week about the underreported need for proper consultation on furloughing workers the scandal and it really is a scandal of inadequate testing and PPE for frontline staff is rightly the target of a major TUC campaign. I think it probably will have moved on even uh, between me recording this and you listening to it, but I hope that's fixed as soon as is possible. But I wonder, how are unions themselves coping during the crisis? Are there clues for what we'll look like once this is all over? There are some interesting straws in the wind, I think. My personal experience, for example, is that unions generally are not that keen on home-based working for staff or, or meeting virtually rather than face-to-face. -face. Now, there may have been good reasons for this, but the lockdown and social distancing have taken a wrecking ball to the argument. What may have been an indulgent is now a necessity. And you know what? People tell me it's working just fine. In fact, colleagues in Scotland especially have been working in this way for years. You know, the benefits of, of less travel and freeing up more time in terms of work-life balance, finances, environmental, you know, could lead to real and sustained improvements in productivity and lower sick leave or employee churn. Now, I know we usually don't use that sort of language when it comes to unions, but... Uh, perhaps it should. I mean, we, you know, if we don't show a surplus and we're always in debt, then, then the banks are going to come and close us down. And taking it a stage further, if these lockdown socially distanced arrangements work, why on earth would a union pay to light and heat and hang on to a head office that in post-Covid Britain will most certainly be too big? And if equity is released by property rationalisation, 
it would be a great windfall for the perennially underfunded areas of union work like organizing or youth engagement now i know i'm getting a little ahead of myself here but are you going to tell me that this vision of the near future is unlikely go on you know it's a genuine invitation union dues at makes you think.com tell me what you think a regular feature on union dues will be our book review we'd love to know what you're reading and if it's any good and if you'd like to contribute to this section keep listening and simon will let you know how to do that in a little bit but talking of simon he's right here what have you been reading this week well this week's it's the lost decade by polly toynbee and david walker both guardian journalists this is um this is a stark reminder of what's happened over the last 10 years before covid gave us well, what seems like hopefully temporary amnesia for everything that went before it. Uh, it follows on from two previous books by this pair, The Verdict, which they wrote in 2010 about the Labour government that ended in that year, and Dogma and Disarray, Cameron at Half Time in 2012. So I, I suppose the way to look at it is to say that everyone needs a baseline to see how much progress you're making. And this is a comprehensive view of the baseline we would be starting from now in 2020. And it's, it's kind of really challenging. It details how the social safety net has been dismantled, the stupidity of a one-size-fits-all universal credit, the closure of libraries, youth clubs, sure start centres, how completely the many good things from 13 years of Labour government have been rolled back. Well, doesn't that make it a bit of a boring, stodgy read? Well, well no, it's certainly well-written and pacey, and it's, it's, it's clearly a journalist's book. I mean, they're not loads of refer- pages and pages of notes and references and so on. But I would say don't read it if you're feeling in any way depressed. That's encouraging. Um, Is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel? Maybe reason for hope? Well, I'm not sure, to be honest. The concluding chapter is titled What Next? and basically argues that the soundbite, dog whistle, unicorn politics can only go so far and at some point soon reality will force a change of policy. But the preceding chapters all paint a really pessimistic picture. You know, you have to have hope. Of course you do. Of course you do. And I'm pretty sure that when they were writing the book, they didn't have a clue. None of us did about coronavirus. Uh, And arguably that could change everything. So recommend or avoid? I'd say um, recommend if you've got the stomach for it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, That's The Lost Decade 2010 to 2020 and What Lies Ahead for Britain by Polly Toynbee and David Walker, um, published by Guardian and Faber and Faber on sale for 10.99. If you have a book you'd like us to review for Union Dues, here's what to do. Yes, we'd welcome suggestions for future reviews and if you'd like to contribute yours, let me know by email at uniondues at makesyouthink.com. We'd be happy to record you reading your review too to play on the show. And it's not just what you're reading right now, but books that have left their mark on you, as it were, that are important to you in some way. Well, that's almost it for this episode. Thanks so much for your company. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Perhaps it's made you think of it. The links to everything that we've discussed in this episode can be found in the blog that accompanies this podcast. You can find that on the Makes You Think website. We really want your views and input, so please, please rate us on the podcast platform of your choice and share amongst your own networks. Tweet us at Union Dues and email your comments and suggestions to uniondues at makesyouthink.com. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Until then, stay well, stay safe, stay indoors if you can. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The 
Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper, with Liz Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production. <laughs>